Chapter Eight of the Brown Brethren by Patrick McGill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Brown Brethren by Patrick McGill. Chapter Eight. Back to His Own. We're out for duration now, and do not care a cuss. There's beer to spare at dinner time, and afters now for us but if our buddies still were out in flanders raising cane we'd weather through with those who knew on bully beef again the old sweats the grub it was skimp with the old sweats but if rations was small twas the same for us all same for the ole of the ole sweats from soldier songs the dark night clung close to the wet levels of no man's land and a breeze whimpered across the grasses, crooning wearily. The whole world seemed tired. The star shells rose lazily over the German trenches, burned drowsily for a space, and fell sluggishly to earth. The light failing, the circle of horizon grew less, and objects quite close at hand became hidden from view. The hour was about ten, and Bowdy Benners felt tired and sleepy. He was sick of it all the night raids, the attacks, and balmy encounters. His mind turned to home, quiet London, of the peaceful houses, the easy nights of untroubled sleep, afternoon teas, and the hundred and one comforts of civil life which were so far removed from him at the moment. Must be ten now, he muttered. I suppose I'll get relieved presently. The door of a near dugout opened, and the ray of a candle shone out into the trench. One of his mates came out, his rifle in his hand, his waterproof ground sheet over his shoulders. Is that you, Bub? he asked. Taking a turn as sentry. All right, Bub answered. Thought I wasn't coming out, eh? Are you fed up? he asked. A bit sick of it, said Bowdy. I'm tired of looking across the parapet day and night. How do you like it? Rotten, said Spudhole. The weather is so damned rotten. Everything's rotten. He got upon the fire step placed his rifle across the wall, and tied his waterproof across his shoulders. Oh, Flanagan is back, said Bob, as bowed he made his way towards the dugout. Is has come with a fresh draft of men. Who, Flanagan? Where is he? Bowdy asked in one mouthful. He's in the dugout, said Bob. Bowdy rushed in, almost trampling on the face of a man who was asleep near the door. Yes, Flanagan was there, handsome Flanagan, the gallant youngster with a college education. He was an Irish boy and belonged to the section at St. Albans in the old days. He was a fine-looking youth of medium height with heavy dark hair and intelligent forehead, impassioned nostrils, and an air of aloofness which became him well. He had a frank and open expression, pensive gray eyes, and high cheekbones. He came from the west of Ireland and had studied for the priesthood but feeling that this was not his vocation, he entered the civil service. His people belonged to an old Irish family full of pride and poverty. Flanagan, though well-educated, was a bit of a rake and loved the bottle. When excited, he spoke with a delicious brogue and paid little heed to his grammar, but he was an omnivorous reader and carried a number of books about with him in his haversack. Montaigne was a great favorite of his, he had gone home badly wounded seven months earlier, and his mates never expected to see him out in France again. 
he was now sitting in a corner of the dugout his handsome face radiant with joy and eagerness betraying a certain boyish innocence which in no way detracted from the dignity of his features you've come back again flan bowdy said and gripped him by the hand yes i'm back again he answered glad to be with us bowdy queried glad to leave london and come out here of course i am he answered handing benners a cigarette the confession staggered benners but in a way he was not surprised flanagan was a youngster who took eagerly to the life of war its romance and roving he wanted to attempt everything nothing was too big for him with him it was no sooner see than try and his store of enthusiasm was so unbounded that he generally succeeded in most projects but to come back again when his wound must surely have been a permanent blighty one why have you come back bowed he asked tell me all about it while i rouse the brazier and make a mess tin of tea a mess tin of tea he exclaimed as bowdy bent over the brazier god it's good to hear that old man the cups are so small at home little things but a mess tin full heavens things are done on such a big scale in the trenches one gets long hours of fighting of working of watching everything is taken in big mouthfuls here there's nothing petty in the job but at home the soft beds but i could not sleep the little teacups but i had no appetite the politeness the swipe the fine dresses but the whole thing made me ill we've been looking on the gods here and i went back to live with ordinary mortals i couldn't stick it you're a big fool flan said benners as he fanned the brazier with a weak old copy of an english paper i would like to get home i'd be in no hurry you think so said flanagan but you'd soon change your mind i spent two months in hospital then i was sent to a convalescent camp but my shoulder wouldn't mend you know i got it in the shoulder i couldn't raise my arm something was dislocated but that didn't matter the convalescent camp was a damn nice place near brighton and beside the sea there was an old sergeant major a rheumachy old fellow who talked through his nose but a good fellow all the same we called him nick knock he had no end of trouble with us the old sweats and he was always on the lookout for me got my name into his head somehow and maybe i was not easy going enough for a rheumachy old man he must have been about sixty-five we slept in huts knick-knack would come to the door of the hut in the early morning are you all in bed yet he would shout flanagan gave an imitation of a man speaking through his nose are you never going to get up where's flanagan close the door knick-knack someone would say it's too blurry cold close the door will you i'll not close the door the old man would answer i'll get every man of you up out of bed fore i leave here they're up in all the hunts bar this un oh close the door one would say rising up in bed and lighting a cigarette i'll not close the door the sergeant would answer what i want to know is this where's flanagan dead one would say gassed in the knees he's hanging on the wires from another his bed wasn't slept on last night from knick-knock when i see him he'll be for it and you'll all be for it if you're not out of kip when i get back ere in ten minutes from now mind that close the door knick-knock the hut would shout as the sergeant turned to go i'll not shut the door leaving it like that and it's so cold all would expostulate please shut the door i'll not shut the door from knick-knock 
One would think that the whole damn caboose is out on a Sunday school treat. Then the old man would go out, closing the door behind him. Time for me to appear then. I would come out from under the table where I had hidden. I had been out all night and just got into the hut before Nicknock. Was Nicknock ever out here? asked Bowdy. Sixty-five in Rumiki, what could he do? said Flanagan. But he felt it. Once he said to us, You know, boys, I feel out of place here. You fellas have been out and fighting, and ere you come here home, I'm bossing you. It's not fair. Ah, but another time he gave us a lecture, and this is how it began. Boys, there's has been great changes in the army of late years. When I joined it, twasn't as good as it is now, but after I came, things improved, and at the present day, a man cannot do better than roll up and become a soldier. Damn Nicknock, said Bowdy Benners. Tell me something about yourself. What did you do after you left the convalescent camp? Well, I went off on leave from the convalescent camp, lost my pass, and forgot when I had to return. I came back seven days late. Things took a turn. Nicknock reported me, and I was taken before a medical board. The board had to determine whether I was in a fit state to survive seven days in Jankers or not. Three or four old and wise men pummeled me, sounded me, and did a lot of other things. Finally, they discharged me from the army. God, I could jump over the moon with joy. I bought a pair of civvies, brown tweeds, patent leather shoes, and a nice white collar, dainty little tie, a velours hat. I was quite swell. Some of my friends live in London. I stopped in with them. They were going to help me, get me a bond-proof job with good pay and lazy hours. I had been a bit of a rake before the war, but they did not mind that. A boy must have his fling. I had proved myself a man when the country called. You know the things they would say, stock phrases that were worthy of an auctioneer. I liked it for a little, Bowdy, but then the small teacups, the small talk, the little titbits of scandal. Flanagan got to his feet, stuck his hands in his pockets, and looked at Bowdy. I used to lie awake at night. The beds were so damn soft and uncomfortable, and think of the nights spent out in the trenches, sitting in a snug dugout with the rain pattering on the roof or through it. Flanagan went on, fixing his gaze at the candle. Again, my thoughts would run on the long night marches up the road with the moonlight on the cobbles and the big poplars standing upright like pompous sergeant majors, away up to the star shells, the big guns in the trenches. I thought of these things night after night, and I began to feel afraid. I knew that it was coming. I knew that I would leave England and come out to France again. I felt stifled at home. Everything was so small and little. God, the tea is beginning to bubble already. Do you remember, old man, that night when we lay in the orchard waiting to go up to the trenches to attack? He suddenly asked, thrusting his face almost into Bowdy's. Do you mind the buses, crowded with soldiers, carrying rifles at all angles, going by on the road, the star shells flaring up in the sky and the bayonets glittering? The buses going, going like hell, and the stars above shining through the apple trees. The trees were in blossom then, if you mind. Don't you remember it, he asked. I shall never forget it, Bowdy answered. And the raids, he questioned, in a slow voice, crawling out through the long grasses with the poppies flicking you in the face, your nerves tense, not knowing what the next moment will bring. I thought of these things day after day, and in the end I succumbed to the old lore. T'was a difficult job getting back again. 
there was i dismissed from the army and no more good as a fighter my shoulder stiff and sore my discharge papers showing that i was medically unfit and in fact a thorough washout but something had to be done twas then that i met old knick-knock again he was discharged too time expired i met him i grieved to stay in a pub i stood him a drink and told him my predicament he thought for a moment then he said why not come back from the back of beyond a sailor go up to the recruiting station and call yourself bill jackson and get taken on again don't mention a word about your shoulder and maybe the m o won't notice it god i'd go with you myself flanagan if it wasn't for these damn rheumatics i tried the dodge got taken on as bill jackson who was at one time a b before the mast and now flanagan is dead to the british army henceforth evermore the tea is about ready bill jackson bowdy said as his mate sat down on the floor between the legs of a man who was sound asleep and breathing heavily if you care to wait a little i'll fry a rasher of bacon rations are pretty plump to-night and is there any rum going flanagan asked springing to his feet again he was too excited to remain still how strange that i'd forgotten to ask about the rum rations until now he muttered i suppose there'll be a tot after a little it's within the bounds of possibility bowdy remarked as he put two rashers of bacon in the mess tin lid and placed the lid on the brazier but we'll see to that later necessities before luxuries out here bill jackson he added the bacon was ready and they sat down flanagan and bowdy and commenced to eat meals have no season in the trenches but they are always welcome god it's good to be back here said flanagan i've never been so happy in all my life i hope the war won't end until this happiness is worn out he was sincere in his expressions and his mood almost became bowdy's before the meal was at an end they lay back when they had eaten and lit cigarettes the smoke wreathed upward to the roof where the mice was scurrying amidst the rafters under the sandbags the soldiers were still asleep on the floor their bodies curled up in queer attitudes they sleep sound said flanagan who is that snoring is it old snogger snogger it is said bowdy i thought so said flanagan i knew his snore i couldn't sleep like that at home i'm very glad to be out here again it's a great life and i like it more than ever before i suppose i'll tire of it again after a while the novelty will wear out in due time i've no doubt by the way have you fitzgerald with you yet he asked he's here bowdy made answer he's in love with a french girl named fifi he's very fond of her he's in love as he said flanagan i mind him at st albans he was in love so often but none would take him seriously he said why i don't know bub the sentry came to the door who's next on he yelled sleep in there like hogs you is get up out leave him alone said flanagan alluding to the soldier whom bub was endeavouring to rouse up i'll do his turn well blimey that's a strange caper said bud as flanagan disappeared through the door one would think he was in love with this here caboosh i know one old squatter that ain't that's this ere kid well anyhow i'm going to have a kip bub and bowdy lay down together and dropped off to sleep listening to the patter of the rain on the roof while outside on the fire step flanagan was standing on guard humming an old irish tune his heart filled with the joy of a wanderer who has returned to his kind End of chapter eight back to his own